Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We've put on our wigs, and I have my quills at the ready to take notes from the Emperor's three close advisors as we talk Amadeus this week on Zach on Film. Hello there, Zach. Hello, Stephen. Hey, you're going to get a musical lesson this week. Good. I like music. It's uh, classical music. I'm fine with that. Kind of ties into last week's, uh, well, geez, I think they call uh, old music from, from uh, American Graffiti classical music mm-hmm. these yeah. days. Classic, so what, what do you call classical rap. music? Archaic music? Super classic. Cla- super Jurassic. classic? Jurassic. Jurassic classic. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Amadeus. Oh, Amadeus. Mozart puts on dinosaur hat. Yeah. <laughs> Jurassic classic. So uh, give, us, give us a rundown from this 1984 movie All right. starring uh, Tom Hulse and yes. uh, F. Murray Abraham. Many people know them as Otter and the Mandarin. Yep. Uh, so what we have with Amadeus is a, a very old composer man named Salieri. Oh, I'm sorry. F. Murray Abraham didn't play. Yeah, I don't he, no, the man no, did not. No, no, no. You're I don't I don't know what you're smoking. Probably a pickle. Um So he's 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 recounting oh, his yeah. life as uh as he led he lived next to Mozart, watched Mozart grow up, uh kind of have all the fame and all the brilliance of being a music composer and Salieri was jealous because he realized uh he could never be as divinely inspired as Mozart was with his music and his craft. And he's telling this all to a young priest who wants to have his confession because everyone believes Salieri killed Mozart. Well, I don't think it's everyone believes that Salieri well, killed Mozart. He starts Salieri, yeah. Salieri believes that he is responsible for Mozart's death. Okay, yeah, sure. And he tries to commit suicide. Yes. And that's why he's in the insane asylum. Right. And because he's going to die soon, he's trying to get he's, his last rites. Yeah. Okay. Well, does he... I Not last rites, but yeah, last confession. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's kind of a confession, really, is it? Yeah, because he comes and he says, confess, confess to me your sins so yeah. that you may be forgiven and enter the gates of heaven with God. And Salieri's right. like, I don't want to be around God. I despise God. And right. let me tell you why so, yeah, I yeah, despise yeah, yeah. God. Well, okay. So I, and how I destroyed I his I was, greatest creation. I was coming at, at, at the point of uh, Catholic's life, right? Uh, confession, <laughs> not, not, that's not what Salieri was doing was let me confess my sins. Right, it was right. more, let me tell you this story about how I suck. How I smote God. Yeah. Right. 
It yeah. was. It's more about expiation than it is about uh, that other thing. Mm-hmm. So through Salieri's, sorry, I, I used uh, a big word. Th- so through Salieri's flashbacks, mm-hmm. we get to see Mozart's life. More right. importantly, his life in Vienna. Yeah. At the time when he did some of his his greatest works mm-hmm. and and uh, and and pieces, and follows him from his time in Vienna all the way through the creation of uh, Requiem. And um, the Magic Flute, which mm-hmm. was Mozart's, uh, died soon after, didn't yeah. complete uh, the Requiem. Although some people say that Salieri did end up writing some of that. That was a big bit of a conspiracy theory thing that the goes thing. around. Sometimes it pops up here now and then. Mm-hmm. Not that it was translated to him but or tra- transcribed to him, but he attempted to finish it. Uh, and a lot of people ap- apparently have attempted to try to finish the work, and I've not heard it all. My dad listens to it a lot, but I don't. Um, so what do we learn about um, about these characters? Uh, we learn that Mozart has by far the greatest laugh uh, in human <laughs> history, is the best laugh. That That's a laugh that makes you just smile mm-hmm. and say, yeah, everything's fine in the world, because that guy's laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a genius, and he's... He's the kind of genius that doesn't have to try, doesn't have to work at it at all. It's just like – Don't you hate those people? Poof. Well, isn't that kind of the underlying tone of the story? Is like should we hate those people mm-hmm. or should mm-hmm. and should we hold on to that hate of god dang it? How do those people get so much talent by doing nothing? They're, yeah. They just they just haven't. Or uh, should we be okay with holy crap, like that person just wrote an opera and – Without writing anything down, it's mm-hmm. all in his head. Should mm-hmm. we? Should we? Should we celebrate that, or should we hate it because we try so hard uh, ourselves to be a master craftsman of whatever uh, we fancy ourselves at, while we can't possibly ever live up to someone who has that natural talent? You know, it's really funny that you know Salieri decides at a young age that you know he's going to give his chastity. He's going to be pure of of heart and not sleep around or yeah. or do anything wrong. He's going to be righteous and he was going to do all these things. If God will give him a gift and he mm-hmm. has a, a gift and, um, you know, some people would say it's very mediocre, but, you know, at the time is very popular. But then he <laughs> breaks one of the commandments, essentially. He covets what his neighbor has yeah. and really wants everything that Mozart has. And when he can't have it, he plots this this thing to bring him down. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I, I think that is kind of a reflection on today where you find someone who has a talent, whatever that talent may be, mm-hmm. uh, baseball, basketball, um, musical composition, comedian, actor, actress, whatever. And everybody just bags on them mm-hmm. for the things that they have. Why are we – is it our ego that drives that, Rodrigo? Is it our jealous nature? Is it our – lust to be and have what what the joneses have i think it's a little bit of everything i think um humans kind of naturally seek status mm-hmm. and there's basically you think naturally you oh think? absolutely okay. absolutely 100 percent. i think people all people want status because status gives you security right if mm-hmm. people think you're awesome they're less likely to try to kill you and take your stuff um yeah, but that's not kind of what happens here right right so there's two ways of gaining status. One of them is to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And the other one is to take down the people who have higher status. Than right. You. Uh, so collectively right. as, as humans, we frequently do that with the people who have the highest status mm-hmm. um, celebrities. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd think like presidents yeah. and stuff, but no, celebrities. It really, well, I, have I, you like know, the... John F. Kennedy mm-hmm. did a lot of fooling around. Yeah, but you didn't see that in in the uh, TMZ of the day, right? People were like, "This is president. You right. respect the office of the president. You don't don't do anything to degrade the office of the president. He's the president." Now it's like, let's dig up all the filthy dirt that we can find on the president sure. and uh, and tear him down, discredit him, throw him aside and, and make him look every bit of fool as, I don't know, pick somebody that they're making fun of. this. Mozart. Week. Mozart. <laughs> curse that guy. All of his Justin, brilliance. Justin Bieber. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> yeah. If he were alive today. I, I think what it really comes I, down he'd to be a thousand years <laughs> If he were alive today, he'd be Justin Bieber. But there's, there's a, a term in college football that you run into, uh, and that, that term in the sports sort of thing is parity among the teams. Parity, P-A-R-I-T-Y, not parity, which is, you know, when you make a triple X version of Amadeus. But parity indicates that everybody that has kind of a roughly yeah, a level playing field. And these, you know, cases like Mozart is the point where you realize – we don't have a, a, a level playing field. We shouldn't expect a level playing field. And that is upsetting. You know, have, not to get political, but how many times do you hear people say, well, they shouldn't get any handouts. I didn't get any handouts getting where I am today. Or, mm-hmm. you know, why should this person get special treatment when I don't? And what it really breaks down to is I think as people, we have an expectation that everyone thinks like we do. And everyone shares some basic tenets of whatever we think. And sometimes we're surprised. And I think what you see, especially with, uh, and I'll say it, I'll say poor Salieri, because this is really kind of, it's Mozart's story and Mozart dies and all. But Salieri is really tortured for decades over things that he may or may not have even done. I I would argue that this is Salieri's story. Mm -hmm. I would would Mm -hmm. say that this is very much... Salieri's story and the in the same way that uh, yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar is Judas's story and JFK is that other guy's story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This is very much Salieri's yes, story. It's Jim's story. Yep. And this is something where Salieri has been placed at a point where, as one of the best, you know, regarded people uh, doing what he does, as someone who is a very, very highly regarded as a composer, as a person, as a thing, whatever you want to do, has to deal with the fact that. There's this this punk who's kind of head and shoulders above him, and there doesn't seem to be any reason why, and there doesn't seem to be any way to to level that out, and that would be incredibly frustrating. I mean, I, I think we can all think of someone where you just look and you go, how did that schmuck end up doing better than me? It's a very universal phenomenon. But why – but I guess I'm still why, – why the rabbit attempt – to tear people down. Maybe, I mean, and again, I only know things that we see in our internet age. You know, going back to when I was younger, well, you had the entertainment tonight, and that really wasn't gossipy gossip as much of it was insider entertainment yeah. news with the lifestyles of the rich and famous uh, tacked onto that. Gossip. But today it's like gossip, gossip, gossip. Look who got uh, well, beat up in the gossip. elevator today and blah, 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 uh, blah, that, blah. Uh, that's, that's because there's. That discourse has changed, but that doesn't mean that that didn't used to happen. No, and that's what I'm I mean, saying. There I were, don't know there, what happened. There's always been this. tabloids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right, right. You know, yeah. it's just nowadays you can watch tabloids so. on TV, mm-hmm. just like you can watch, you know, classy entertainment mm-hmm. news on TV. Mm-hmm. So with Salieri. I don't know that there's been 
any real change, though. I don't. I don't so know. This that, is human nature. I mean, if you look at this, this I is think so. to some degree, yeah. But I think everybody has had a person that they just they they hate, they badmouth for no reason. I mean, if you say to me, "Well, Kim Kardashian said X." Kim Kardashian could be saying the wisest and most wonderful things on earth. And I would go, Kim Kardashian. Look, at, uh, well, yeah, Kim but you Kardashian, don't, but whatever. you don't, you don't despise Kim Kardashian with a passion. Do you? I mean, you don't sit there and go, I will do everything in my power to bring Kim Kardashian down. I will destroy her. I will leave her penniless. I, I will make her so wanting I don't, and so insane <laughs> That she will die from exhaustion and have to be buried in a pauper's grave, which is what Salieri did. Well, he used his power. First and foremost, this is not history. This no. is not no, 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 a no. biography. No, this no, no, is no. a historical fiction. Right. But in the and story, this, this though, movie is not factually true. So, yes, in the story. Well, this is, I'm explain. no one saying it's factually true. I don't think you have the power to bring Kim Kardashian down either. I'm just saying. Do you hate her and despise uh, see, her? See now, see now he's gonna do it, and it's gonna be your fault, Stephen. <laughs> Math is gonna destroy Kim Kardashian, and then Kanye is gonna come after you for putting the idea in his head. And yeah, and you will watch his child, or you will write on a motorcycle with him think, through a green screen. Well, if you really want to go into it, here's here's the deal in the in the 18th century, in the year 1791. We've, we referred to Kennedy. Kennedy was 1965, let's yeah. say 50 odd years ago. 50 years ago, when John F. Kennedy was president, there were rules of polite discourse. Mm-hmm. Those rules mm-hmm. are not the same rules now. There were things that you didn't do in 1961 and 1962 because they weren't right. They weren't moral. They weren't correct. Now, Bearing in mind that some of the things you quote unquote don't do because they're not right are not be male, not be Caucasian, not be, you know, well regarded in terms of your money. But if you go back even further to 1791, when we say, oh, 50 years ago, this didn't happen, 300 years ago, there was uh, even more emphasis on what you did in polite company and what you didn't do and what you would never say and the things that you know if you went out and your wig was not powdered correctly you would be uh, offending people if you were to well, say and go and mm-hmm. appear before the queen in improper dress you could be punished and or killed for insulting her court and I mean, that's all it takes this i mean is a salieri does not have to go out and post uh, posters up all around vienna saying you know, Mozart bad, Salieri good, who listen yeah. to my music, quaint, yay. He doesn't have to do that. He simply has to go to the king and say, hey, I hear Mozart is screwing around with his young students. I hear he's mm-hmm. having improper with these young students, basically accusing him of being a molester, to the king. And the king doesn't right. go out and, and spread the word. He just simply says we're going to pick someone else mm-hmm. yet the word gets around very quickly and Mozart's not able to get students. Mm-hmm. And with his nature of being very um, likes to spend money, right? That gets him into a lot of problems. Who's, whose fault is this Zach? Whose fault that Mozart, that Mozart died? Is it Salieri's fault? Did he kill him or did Mozart kill himself? Well, I mean, that's, that's an interesting question because, uh, 
Celiari certainly plays off Mozart's own characteristics to create something beautiful and to uh, imagine new crazy music and push music forward. Um, so the question, I guess, was kind of be, would this have happened to Mozart anyways if Salieri hadn't kind of uh, like uh, uh, pushed him that direction? Would, would uh, three years down the line... Mozart keeled over from pushing himself too far. Yeah. Or public um, drunkenness slipped on a rock. Yeah. I mean, possibly cracked his noggin open. Um, or, <laughs> or did, uh, so they already just understand the nature of Mozart and just said, if, if I put this to him, he will do it. Um, or, mm-hmm. or, or was he just speeding up Mozart? Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah yeah. 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 So what do you think? Um, I don't know. It, it's interesting um, because Mozart seemed to want to do more enjoyable things, like he did the the regular people opera. Yeah, and yeah. he seemed to really enjoy that a lot. But then he kind of got pushed, pushed, do this requiem crap. And, I I think I, uh, I think. He would have still done it to himself because there is a scene and, and we are watching the director's cut of Amadeus. It's the only one that's currently available. It's got about 20 minutes of stuff that's been added. There is a scene where he does actually go and have a student, a pupil, and he goes mm-hmm. in there and the, the mother and the, and the father want to watch and they bring their dogs in. The dogs are unruly and the father is kind of unruly too. And Mozart's just offended and mm-hmm. he takes offense to the mm-hmm. fact that they are not stopping everything that they're doing and focus on him and focus on – the student-teacher relationship, and he gets offended and walks out. I think his attitude, at least the, the way it's portrayed by Tom Hulse, um, would have led Mozart down that eventual path, and that Salieri is just there giving him that nudge in that direction. I think uh, as far as that relationship goes, what the movie, I think, says in its negative space kind of, so, so you have Salieri pushing Mozart, and Mozart not doing anything to push back. He just kind of right, like right, rolls right. him along to right. to his own doom. Other other than being massively talented, yes, yes. Um, I think what the movie kind of secretly tells you is that had Salieri decided to help Mozart, mm-hmm. they would have created like Mozart would have continued to create like mind blowing music. Like mm-hmm. if at every point that Mozart had asked Salieri for help, he had actually helped him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he this actually wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have been pushed to the brink. He would have could have given him a loan. Could have essentially become his own little patron, which he kind of did, yeah. just yeah. for the wrong reason. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, and essentially, by Salieri's own admission, again in the movie, you know, Mozart was an absolute genius. Like, mm-hmm. right. he loved his music and hated him for it. Yeah. But if he had managed to see past that. Uh, Mozart would have survived, would have continued to make this uh, basically angelic, divine music by Salieri's, from Salieri's standpoint. Um, but he chooses to instead mess with them, and uh, Mozart dies, and he ends up crazy. So is this then, going back, Matthew, a, a morality play then of instead of trying to tear down that which is which is maybe better than us, we need to embrace mm-hmm. – these people, because, again, 
this is a morality play told from the from the viewpoint of of Mozart, who people know and people have listened to and do recognize his work as that of a genius. Mm -hmm. And imagine what he could have done if he would have been able to live another 20 years. What if instead of pushing these people off the ledge, we take the Lindsay Lohans and we wrap the blanket around them and say, hey, mm. let us help you because we think that there's something there that can go better. And again, I'm using this as an extreme sure, example sure, here. Sure. I don't know Lindsay Lohan. I don't know what her problems is. Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, the same way. What if we had embraced Justin Bieber at the right time and said, hey, man, let's let's get you on the right path, mm -hmm. whatever that right path is, so that you can create for another 30 years mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or the, mm -hmm. you know, whoever pick sure. pick a person, you know, is that what mm -hmm. is that ultimately what what kind of a message we can get out of this? Or maybe that's a question for Zach, but I'll ask Matthew. No, I, I, I think you've got a point, because when you look at Mozart throughout this film, he doesn't go to the point of urinating in a bucket, but he is petulant and he is flighty and he is, you know, self-aggrandizing and childish. And he goes through the phases that you go through, you know, at, I'm going to throw my fury in here. At one point, I was told I was in the gifted program, that I was a smart kid. And I, you know, that turned me from a borderline nerd into a flat out douche for a year or three. And it's still something that I feel like, you know, I fight about now, that moment where you walk into a room and presume you're the smartest person there. I think that having, you know, especially in the case of Mozart and maybe Justin Bieber, being told that you're incredibly talented and that you're wonderful and you do these wonderful things kind of puts you in a mindset that everything that you do is wonderful. So if you look at Salieri, this movie is actually told from Salieri's mouth. Right. We only have his story. He, I mean, it, the way I read this, right, it's the flashback. Salieri blames himself for what happens. Salieri blames himself for, I, I, I think, destroying something that was better than him out of jealousy, out of, you know, a sense that he, he didn't deserve whatever he had, however you want to look at it. That notion of how dare he say he speaks for anyone, you know. But I think that the movie that we see, at least from my reading of it, is tainted by that perspective in that what we see is Salieri supporting his own expectation that Mozart would not have flipped out and gone over any particular edge without his yeah. uh, interdiction intervention. Well, I wonder, I wonder then. So, I mean, it is, it is hard to say. I wonder then Zach, mm -hmm. and this is part, part of the, the part that um, haunts Salieri and, and probably, forces him to try to commit suicide is especially when after he slits his throat, he's being hauled through the streets of Vienna and everywhere he goes, he's hearing Mozart's music being played. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, 50 years, 30 years after his death. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you killed the guy too soon when he yeah. was at his most popular. And uh, maybe if you would have just let him go on, he would have turned it into something mediocre. Yeah. Sure. Um, it's it's funny because we, we watched this today and I saw on Twitter that uh, actor Simon Pegg tweeted something along the lines of all actors or all uh, famous people want to die before their wax mold of themselves gets melted down into someone else. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to see themselves lose 
their popularity or their relevance to culture. And I mean, that's certainly a thing that happens for a lot of people. I mean, we see with bands all the time, or they'll release a good album or yeah, have I mean, a you could song. Look at or Kurt Cobain, for example, you know, he died at a young age. Janis Joplin, Janis Joplin, uh, um, um, dies at a young age, and they become legendary. Mm-hmm. But what if Jimi Hendrix had lived another thirty years and was sixty-five or seventy, and yeah, you're just put out enough stuff that turned mediocre that you know you died at the height of your popularity. Well, you never know. First mm-hmm. off, it's a human life. So, yeah, sure, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's it's worth it on that scale. Right. Um, and second, sometimes people surprise you. Sometimes. Um, yeah, they get better. after. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. after playing the, what, the bad guy in Cliffhanger, uh, John Lithgow comes back and has a great career uh, in his 50s mm-hmm. and then into his 60s and mm-hmm. then continues to really mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Later in life, um, there's like nothing, nothing saying that somebody's heyday has to happen when they're young, even if they did. I mean, look at, I mean, Neil Patrick Harris, who thought that we were ever going to see him again after he disappeared right. after Doogie, Doogie Hauser, Hauser, right, right. And now he's having, having yeah. his time now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you just never know when somebody's going to come back and, um, you know, a child actor comes back as an adult or somebody who started out uh, acting as an adult, you know, comes back, you know, yeah. in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and all of a sudden are completely relevant again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at Wilford Brimley. What's Diabetes. the first thing we know Wilford Brimley from? Uh, no, it's from The Thing. That's really the first thing. He's, he's in his 50s in The Thing. He's been acting forever, but it, all of a sudden he had that that run throughout the eighties where it's like Wilfred Brimley diabetes. That is how people remember Wilfred Brimley as a crotchety man in his sixties with a big walrus mustache. Hmm. And I think that that's kind of wonderful in a lot of ways. But I'm not sure where I started that sentence, so I'm not sure where it's going to end. Well, I find it fascinating. This is something that I always find fascinating because we look at a movie like Amadeus, which is a, you know, a fictional autobiography or an account, Mm -hmm. an account Mm -hmm. of Mozart's life. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was such a long freaking time ago that Mozart was around. The Colonies, Declaration of Independence was going on Mm -hmm. during Mozart's life. Mm -hmm. At the height of his popularity, we were still arguing over – uh, the the first uh, amendments to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. That kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, it's like Mozart isn't that far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also it's also great uh, that somehow in a movie that takes place in Vienna entirely with yes. European people, they found a way <laughs> to involve the United States. <laughs> it's like okay, we want we want Americans to understand that America exists. <laughs> During this movie. But they, I mean, yeah, but I mean, they really don't. I yeah, mean, you yeah. don't see Ben Franklin coming no, through and don't. and uh, sitting down and watching Mozart play. Although, you know, with everything going on, there's a good chance that Franklin may have seen mm-hmm. Mozart play. I, he, I don't yeah, know. He get around. I mean, he did get around in France, especially. France is close to Vienna. Yeah. And uh, who knows what kind of crazy. It's just, it's just that little bit of information where you put it into perspective. Mm-hmm. Here's the United States forming Mozart is performing and, you know, the the what is it? The Ottoman Empire is falling apart Mm -hmm. at this time. It's just like, wow, Mm -hmm. just everything that's happening in that in that time period. Yeah. Did you like this story, Zach? 
you seem to come in with glazed eyes tonight. Is I was never bored during this movie. Oh, you were not bored. Okay. No. Because that's one thing. It is a three no. hour movie. It uses exclusively classical music, all of Mozart's. Yeah. And some Salieri. Yeah. Uh, no, it was a enjoyable movie. Uh, I had some problems with it, but not from the story aspect. It was shots and stuff. But uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I like the story telling structure of the flashback thing. I think mm-hmm. um, we see that every once in a while, and I think it works it works really well here. Um, and that the, the pace of the movie kept up, and you still got um, I mean, a whole gamut of emotions throughout the throughout the film. But it didn't ever feel like it was bloated. That's not true. Sometimes it felt like this movie was bloated when they showed an opera for like 15 minutes. Yeah. But that is kind of a thing. It's like these people are making an opera, so we kind of have to show it because it kind of plays into this whole idea of what they're doing and how it's important to the culture and to this relationship between these two guys. Mm Mm-hmm to show the genius of Mozart and mm-hmm. show how he's affecting, um, I mean, the emperor and all these the people of, all around Vienna. Uh, and so once you kind of get into that mindset, it's fine. Um, so the movie, because w- w- when I, when I watch a movie this long, I, I think, did the movie need to be this long? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I felt when I watched Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, movies like that. It's like, did the movie need to be this long? And um, so obviously we were watching the director's cut. So 20 minutes did get cut out. Yeah. Of the original uh, theatrical uh, release. Right. right. And uh, but the, the part that got added in was bits with Soliari and Mozart's wife. Right. Which I thought added a whole lot to Soliari's yeah, yeah, character, yeah. which was should have been in there the first time. Oh, yeah. And well, you, yeah. I yeah. Mean, this, <laughs> the whole thing that's been added in is the scene where Salieri basically tells Mozart's wife hey, you want Mozart to hey. succeed, come back tomorrow night and uh, you and I are going to get it on and then I'll then I'll do whatever he yeah, wants. Basically, right. you have to become my whore and I'll and I'll mm-hmm. yeah. fix yeah. your husband up. Yeah. And they come in and there's a little brief nude scene and gets interrupted and that's it. But it's it's right. an interesting it's an interesting moment of addition that you're right. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. change the relationship between the wife and the villain. So, yeah. Or perceived villain. Yeah, sure. Um, so. Well, because I think in, you watch any movie this long, I think there's always that tendency of, wow, didn't need to be that long until mm-hmm. you start analyzing. Well, they kind of needed to put all of these long opera scenes in there and show how to play out because that's the story they're telling. It's kind of thing with Wolf of Wall Street. I thought Wolf of Wall Street was bloated because everything in that movie was to the extreme mm-hmm. of the characters and the, what mm-hmm. they were doing was just insane. Mm-hmm. And so the movie needed to kind of reflect that and to be long and unnecessary, yeah. essentially. Over the top and yeah. Yeah, excessive. Yeah, Right. And so uh, this movie, so don't let three hours intimidate you. You will be engaged for, I feel like, for three hours. Do you like I, classical music? Did you like how they, the music selection that I mean, Mozart yeah, yeah, composed yeah. over 600 pieces. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a small, small, small sample yeah. of this in, in this movie. But does it uh, does it strike you? Is it fitting? Yeah. No, the the music, the, the way they integrated music into the story, I thought was one of my favorite aspects because you'll see Soliari 
uh, like co- start composing when he's in his mental asylum. You mm-hmm. hear the music rising and going with him, and they cut back into uh, fifty years in the past or whatever. Or you'll see Mozart kind of sing, humming a tune and yeah, yeah. as that lasting the deathbed when him and Soliari are are figuring out the rest of the requiem. He's kind of just mumbling this thing, but then they bring in what it actually sounds like, and I thought that was yeah, yeah. really well to show what what is a genius like this thinking in his mind and how does it sound in there and let us kind of grab on to part of that. One of my favorite scenes of this movie, and I remember as a young kid and still stands out is you see Mozart at the billiard table composing and you hear the music Mm -hmm. going over it and you're just like, Oh, this is just, you know, the, the music, this is him writing. And then you see Stanzi, his wife poke her head in and she's like, Mozart, Wolfie, Wolfie, Wolfie. And she's yelling and she's like really competing with the sound. And then finally she yells it loud enough to where Mozart snaps out of what he's doing and the music cuts off. And you mm-hmm. suddenly realize that we were inside of his head yeah. listening to this sound. And it's so loud and overbearing that he has isolated out the rest of the world. And it's one of my favorite scenes, especially when it just she yells at him and it, he snaps out of it and the music ends instantly. And it's, again, great mixing of, of music in, in this, in this film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, the, the music really serves to, uh, to move the story along. And you, you can say that's true of the music in any piece, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, the story is basically a lot about the music. Yeah. Yeah. The, the music is a central part of the story. And that's partially why, uh, Zach was, um, uh, saying you need those opera scenes right you need to see not just the you need to kind of see that music and in a lot of ways um the the motifs that we see are also kind of repeated visually there's kind of like the that your singing glowing lady Mm -hmm. um appears a lot uh of course a like mysterious stranger um Mm -hmm. slash uh spooky father figure right you know that that all kind of uh, works together and they all kind of have their own musical cues which you then hear represented uh, after Mozart writes mm-hmm. the pieces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matthew are you a classical music person is this is this music something that you're into or, or like well it, it's not necessarily a like or dislike thing I was in the orchestra for many years in uh, high school and grade school so I'm aware of it and I appreciate it. It's not something that I necessarily seek out in most cases. Um, but I can definitely deal with it. I know recently Widget had a thing where we went to a music identification competition. They played her four seconds of a classical composition and she had to tell us what it was and who wrote it. And I knew a lot more there than I thought I did. But I think it's it's more of a cultural osmosis. It's kind of the way you know that I absorb. I don't know Batman comics. I never actually go out of my way to to go and find classical music, but it always seems to necessarily kind of find me once in a while. Cool. Uh, let's give a shout out to our associate associate producers. This episode of Zach on Film. They would be Justin Labee, Kent Da Daring Heineson, Charnel Claire, Ejaz Haruki. Taylor Forbes, Kayla Brown, Matt Verlinden, Ejaz Faruqi, again, high five to you, Derek Chin, Adam Mickelson, Nicole Gross, Chad Andrew, Shuttleworth, Bao King, J.P. Horn, and <laughs> Devin Pellick. Thank you for donating to the Major Spoilers Cause. 
you keep us going week after week after week, pumping out more content for you each and every day. What do you think of the? What did you think of the cinematography on this? Because I've got a bit of an issue, and I haven't figured it out yet. Uh-oh. I'm not. I was not thrilled with it. Why? Um, it was very similar throughout. It was all very kind of high key lighting with wide and medium shots. Yeah, a lot of wide the entire. Movie. Yeah, really. You've got, you had a wide shot, else. or you had a medium shot, mm-hmm. and everybody is framed in the exact middle of the of the of the of the frame. And it was like, what a boring, what a boring composition. I think, I think even in conversations when people are getting hot, you don't have Salieri on the left side and Mozart or the priest or the king on the, on the right side. You don't have that, Mm -hmm. that stuff that we now know today with, I mean, I mean, say no today, Milos Foreman knows this stuff. And I I don't know. I was bothered by the fact that everything was centered composition. Really for me, the, I was I was really surprised. This is actually the first time I've seen this uh, all the way through, and the, any stuff that I'd seen of it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really surprised. I felt kind of uh, cheated in a way because even though I enjoyed this movie, I felt that like the poster and like the mm-hmm. cover of it mm-hmm. like is really misleading because I expected this like visual tour de force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's basically an interview show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is an interview show. Maybe that's why. It's centered that way because that's how I felt. It was just like, why is everything centered and why is everything – this is boring. This is – and you're right. I probably at some point flashed interview or talk show or something sure. like that. Um, but there is some spectacle. I mean they get oh, – they sure. did get a shoot. Oh, yeah. no, they did get a shoot in Vienna and they did get a shoot in the opera house that, that these works were originally performed in. I mean that is – there is some spectacular stuff going on from that point. Everybody's just centered, and I'm just like, well, that's boring. Yeah, but, but even those, a lot of the time, they're kind of just wide shots while everything's yeah. happening. Yeah, even yeah, those, yeah. they're a little bit low angle. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Like you're watching it from Salieri's point of view. Maybe. And that's the only real justification that I can see is that since this movie is told to you by Salieri, everything's shot at exactly five seconds. <laughs> yeah, maybe that could be it. But the other thing, too, that I was thinking of but- is... This was originally a stage play. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. And, you know, uh-huh. there's stuff that are, you know, there's staging like when the emperor comes in to watch the play and you've got the burgermeister and the and the uh, and the uh, french fry meister mm-hmm. behind there where they could have uh-huh. staged things a little bit differently and done some really cool depth stuff. But it's like, nope, flat. Yeah. Everybody's spread out. Everybody's even. King's in the center. Everything that happens just happens immediately behind in the center. And then I thought stage play. Yeah, that's in... I think that's something that happens a lot. So, uh, Les Mis came out a year and a half ago or something. Right. And a lot of people had issues with that because it was all a lot of tight shots and they wanted to see more of the spectacle, which coming out for me is like, we've been doing Les Mis on stage for a long time. If you want to see that, I mean, they, they do that. You can go right. watch that. Right. So, if we're going to adapt it to a film... Well, let's use film techniques and show the story from a couple different angles and get tied up on actors' faces like you can't in a stage play if you're sitting Mm -hmm. 30 rows back. You can't Mm -hmm. get that tight emotion of Russell Crowe's beautiful voice Mm -hmm. right up in your face. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I kind of like that about Les Mis is that they took a stage play and then threw some film flair in there and gave us a kind of a different look at it. And that, 
uh, I mean, this movie came out in the uh, 84, 1984, 84, mm-hmm. and it felt like, uh, besides like color and sound and everything, it felt like throw this in the 30s and it's kind of the same framing and cinematography you would almost see then. It might be Fridge Brilliance, though, because the whole point that we're supposed to take away from Salieri's story is that he is the patron saint of mediocrity. And what better way to show that than have his perspective <laughs> well, yeah. be so boring and mediocre? I thought maybe they were making some sort of reference to, you know, musical composition where you you have that particular you, know, you have very codified rules in composition. And See, these are the things you yeah, have. That, would, that would go against that. That's the thing, that, though, really is that Mozart breaks the rules. Mm-hmm. So if that was the case, and that would have been a brilliant mm-hmm. way of doing yeah. it, is all the, like, as soon as Mozart starts, yeah, as soon and... as Mozart starts composing, you have low angle shots, mm-hmm. high, like super high angle shots, yeah, yeah. all this crazy stuff going on when he's going, and you can center it back up for Salieri or for any of the other guys to show that they're back in the center. Mm-hmm. But when Mozart is going crazy, He's still kind of going crazy on the Today Show. Yeah, I, I like the idea that this is an interview show, and I like and I like Matthew's thought that this is this mediocrity played out in mm-hmm. Salieri's mm-hmm. brain. And even even though his story is fascinating, maybe it's still just average, <laughs> slightly better than average. Maybe he's just that's a good read. I like the I like the poster art. I- for this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's brilliant. Here you have the city of Vienna laid out where the story takes place. You don't spend any time of Mozart on the road or anything like that. You don't spend a lot of time with Salieri in Italy. I mean, you've got these again, another brilliant scene in the movie. that's like and then a miracle happened. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm sure my sons are thinking that. Exact same oh, thing. No. But here you have the city of Vienna laid out before you. And then you have this menacing figure overshadowing the entire city. And we know that that overshadowing figure represents one of two things, either Mozart's father, Mozart's father's influence on Mozart Mm -hmm. or Salieri as this control figure Mm -hmm. who really is in control of Vienna during this time period. And then you get into the little bit up on his, on the hat, which is from, and I forget it. It's it's the, it may be magic flute. I don't remember which one it is, but this big, woman in the circle which from a distance looks like you know it's placed right there on that third eye which there's a lot of right. uh, uh talk about third eye and opening up your consciousness and being able to tap into your creativity and all this stuff it also ties into a lot of illuminati conspiracy type theory things which you know there are some conspiracy theorists theorists hi bruce who uh believe that mozart was killed because he was giving away all the secrets to the uh, freemasons oh. in uh the magic flute so from that standpoint this is a brilliant menacing poster that just kind of creeps me out every time yeah. I see it, just both in his brilliance of design, but also see, this I, creepiness. And if you watch, and I started to, towards the end, started to watch how many times does the eye appear in the, oh. in the movie? There is a shot in, in magic thought, flute where it does, but it's like, I well, that's kind of the this. point of it anyway. Yeah. Where were you going to say, Matthew? Sorry. I, when I, I always thought when I saw this, you know, looking at the poster, I thought that the the face on the poster looked like the Joker and that Amadeus was going to come in like Batman, see, and fight this masked evil bad guy. Now, to keep in mind, in 1984, I was 13 years old, mm-hmm. so I, I should be at least vaguely forgiven for being this person. But looking at that, and I'm like, oh, so he's the villain. And then Amadeus is going to be all like, yeah, now I should use music to punch you or something. 
So I I love the poster. That's kind of cool. Really though, it's the other way around because Amadeus is kind of the Joker. Oh, yeah, especially if you consider yeah. his laugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Salieri sees himself as the like the rightful <laughs> person who should be in charge here. Um, and he also tragically lost his father. So. <laughs> And we never see what happened to the mother, although that's not really relevant no, to this story. Really you can important. go over to Wikipedia. There's a she great. She was uh, shot by Joe Chilton. <laughs> Joe Chilton. Chil- he was shot by the Burgermeister, yeah. <laughs> Dark Alley. Burgermeister Meister Burger. There is a uh, entry over at Wikipedia called Mozart and Freemasonry, oh, and you can read great. about um, the Masonic ideology and, and Masonic music and the list of Mozart's Masonic compositions. Um, and read into that yeah, craziness yeah, if you want. Here, I have a question I just thought of. Uh, Go ahead. Do you think Soliari was happier after Mozart died or when he was getting to transcribe the genius onto sheet? I, th- I, think, I, I think that scene is like the... The happiest that we see Salieri and why he has that regret afterwards yeah. is because for a moment he gets to touch it and he gets mm-hmm. to participate because yeah. he starts listening to him uh, as as he's transcribing it and he starts anticipating it. He's like, Mozart's like, okay, blah, 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 blah. He's like, oh, that's brilliant. Then you go like, blah, 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 blah. And Mozart is like, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, for that Salieri, moment. Yeah. Gets to be in Mozart's brain. He gets to touch mm-hmm. that light divine, right? And right. for a second. And if he had not died... Going back to let's support the patron, mm-hmm. Salieri might have, and maybe that's the point of that scene is comes to the realization that I should have been supporting this guy all along. We could have been working together. Yeah, could have collaborated. I mm-hmm. could have looked into the eye of God. I could have tapped into this and maybe improved myself. And so after Mozart dies, I think it yeah. kills him more because now he's haunted every day with hearing Mozart music yeah. and everybody knows him. And he even comes in again, another brilliant scene in the movie where the priest first comes in. He goes, oh, do you know this song? And he plays this. And he yeah. goes, I wrote that. It was very popular. Uh, how about this song? And he's like, and the priest is like, no, I'm sorry. I don't know that. And he goes, oh, you know, I, I perform this for the queens and kings of Europe. And he's like, ah, how about this one? And he dun, 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 dun. And the priest is like, oh, yes, yeah, wonderful. He goes, that's Mozart. Yeah. And I think that's the part that kills him the most yeah. is that sure. he, he missed that chance to touch mm-hmm. and be part of. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, who is it? Ebert, I read, said the, the, Salieri's demon was being able to understand genius when yeah. he heard it, but not being able to replicate it by himself. I think that frustrates a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know I do. There's a, I, I, there's kind of a, I, I try not to let the, the anger side of it, um, overpower me but there is uh, like there's that angry excitement when somebody yeah. somebody does really good yeah. really good especially in your field uh, like i don't know I, I guess for me like if i ever yeah. see like a really brilliant edit on a show and i'm like oh yeah oh how did That's i so how cool. did i not yeah. think to Damn do it. that yeah, yeah, that yeah. is amazing yeah. uh-huh. you know like uh basically now you I just... know what it's like to be a part of critical hit <laughs> 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 That's 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 what we're all doing is we're sitting oh. there going, damn it. Why did, how did I not do that? Oh, well, thanks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff like uh, watching the first season of Legend of Korra where I just wanted to fight my TV. Yeah. 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 There's just, you know, because in that, <laughs> but in it that, was not Rodrigo who was laughing at me. Yeah, exactly. It was God. Um, it, it is that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think everybody has those, those moments 
and and sort of as as a person, as a real life person, <laughs> it's it's important to kind of focus on the excitement side of it, on the positive side yeah. of it, rather than really getting upset about you know the fact that you didn't think of something because there's going to be more things that you didn't think of in in your life than yeah. things that you thought of. And I think that's one of the good good things about having Zach in this show because he is opening his mind to mm-hmm. all of these things. And hopefully he's sitting there and going, oh, what a brilliant piece where Salieri's narrating this the first time he looks upon Mozart's work and he hears the oboe and then the clarinet and then high above you hear this flute. And hopefully that's something that triggers in Zach. Oh, why didn't I do that? Oh, I can do that. I, or what if I do this? And I, I, and, I and if you want to get meta about it. In this very show, every once in a while, Zach says, oh, here's what I noticed. And the three of us are like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we totally didn't catch that. And then, well, we, uh, and then we pants him as yeah. he walks out the door and yeah. shove him in front of him. And then we're the, like, I yeah, will make it my mission in life to destroy <laughs> Zach. Oh, wait, no, that but takes instead, too much work. But instead, we lift it. Zach up That's upon right. a pedestal and give That's him a podcast right. and say, Zach, go out and create great things. And Just like we have a bunch of brilliant people on these p- podcasts. I mean, it's great to have all three of you here mm-hmm. on Zach yeah. on Film. It's great to have everyone who works at our website, Majorspoilers.com. And listeners, if you haven't checked that out, and I know that there's a lot of you who haven't heard our other shows or seen our other websites and other productions that we do, and maybe you only come to it in this episode, but I'm literally surrounded by brilliant people, and it makes my life seem more rich and fulfilling to have conversations with people who are smart, uh, who have interesting things to say. Uh, I wish uh, every day were filled that with with those kind of people. And I think that... Um, hopefully shows like this entertain you and uh, give you some happiness, some joy, some moment where you can say, hey, this is this is my part of being in and uh, being part of the, the fun, fun group of people. And we're glad that people like this show. We're glad that people comment on this show. You know, it's it's great. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm just rambling on there. But good. I'm glad you're happy. I got a bit of an upset. Was stomach. anybody else a whole distracted thing by Emperor Sirachi. <laughs> Well, especially. Well. You know what he's been a he's been accused of. Who has uh, Ed Rooney, uh, the emperor? Oh, oh, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, he's been uh, what is it? Child pornography or something? I forget what it was. That's not good. Ooh, no. Well, and so it's really kind of creepy good. to see him. He's in yeah, but he's in a thousand things. I know he is. He was in every. He was in every movie from like 1984 <laughs> through probably 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it was very. He's popular. in Howard the Duck. He's who's Harry Crumb. He was oh, in the Pest. He's in everything. He was in yeah. Ed Wood. Yeah, he was in the Pest. He <laughs> he was in House Guest. <laughs> yep. He was in Eat the Cat. What was that one with the guy? Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he was arrested that. for. Possession uh, you remember of Transylvania Six Five Thousand? Oh, no, no bueno. Oh, yeah, kind of sad. Because uh, he was, I loved him as the. I mean, if you compare him from Ed Rooney to the what he is in the Emperor, it's just, uh-huh. you know, just oh that my little. Gosh, just that, that is little. So uh, funny when he does that. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. what, what does he say? Is like, well, there you have it. Or yeah, yeah. Well, there it is. What? Yep. <laughs> and his little. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He does a he does a great job, and that's uh, uh, that's a whole other discussion, right? And we've uh, especially if you listen to the Major Spoilers podcast, we've talked about that stuff. It's like, where do you draw? Where do you draw the line when? Uh, you see when you know oh, yeah, somebody's yeah, yeah. personal right. life, how do you approach, mm-hmm. you know, their work or something? Yeah. Can you still appreciate it knowing that, you know, 
uh, there are issues there. And, and again, that's that's a discussion that we probably don't want to get into. Right Not now. here, yeah, but I mean, I, I would point to people to, uh, I mean, we've talked about it multiple times on the Major Spoilers podcast, but I get into it with a uh, university um, uh, assistant dean in an episode of the Major Spoilers podcast called Lovecraft and the Sublime, where we talk about Lovecraft's extreme racism and how do we justify still being able to appreciate his work. And I think that um, what Dr. Brad Will provides in that discussion kind of summarizes everything. So I would point people to that particular episode uh, where it kind of gets hashed out there. So go check that out. Zach, what did you learn from this, uh, from this movie, this Amadeus, this, this Mozart, this masterpiece won a million uh, Academy awards. I learned that if you're not going to do anything interesting with your camera, you better put something interesting in front of the camera because Jesus, this would have been boring if it wasn't for all the cool wigs and clothes. And <laughs> see, <music. laughs> see that thing about brilliance from Zach? You're right, Zach. That's a good, yeah. that's a good thing. If you're not going to do anything interesting with your, car- your camera, do something interesting in front of the camera. So, yeah. It's like, it's like, I hope. It's like Kevin Smith's motto for like, the first five movies he made. Is that really his motto? Well, I mean, or are you, I mean uh, just, just come up I mean, with that No, I'm just coming up with that. I mean, he didn't do anything with the camera. He just makes people say funny things and yeah, yeah. have uh, interesting characters. Okay. So that, uh, I mean, it works. So yeah, anything else I, you want to add? Uh, uh, I just think the integration of the, the music and the score and the people's minds and stuff was just brilliant. I think Zach has really come a long way. I mean, if you go back to the very first episodes when I this was still part of the major spoilers podcast and, and no, no offense, Zach, no, I mean, no I'm using the word taken. ignorant in a, in a literal sense no, is I'm that fine. you were you ignorant of many, many things related yeah. to film and narrative and production and craft mm-hmm. and look how far Zach has come. And, and you know, film analysis is its own discipline. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah. Um, you you have to start thinking about movies differently mm-hmm. in order to do it. And and we and we really uh, sometimes probably uh, faster than he was ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we 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 pushed them along to mm-hmm. to kind of do this because we also had to make a show. Come on, Zach. It's that it's that big yeah. uh, figure dressed in black oh, handing, yeah. handing me money yeah, every yeah, week, yeah. saying, uh, exactly. "Is it finished yet?" Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's uh, uh, yeah, Zach has come a long way, but but definitely no one ever. I, I nobody should expect anyone to just sit down and be able to analyze a film mm-hmm. without either somebody showing you how or a lot of time spent yeah. thinking about film. And Zach hasn't had a lot of time to spend to think about film because he hasn't had a lot of time. Right. He's actually eight Young. years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking today, I was like, I think I've watched more movies in the last year and a half yeah. than I probably have. Do you feel like your life is more, do you think your life is better now? Do you think, I, I, is your life better? I mean, that's very subjective, but yeah, sure. do you, do you think of, do you think that you're a changed person after watching all of these films? Uh, I think it's probably played a part into it. I think, um, I can look at things or just works of art or just life in general and analyze things more deeply from different angles and aspects and kind of look outside of myself and look at situations that I'm in or just, uh, anything or draw meaning from a work or, uh, just appreciate it for how it was put together. Have you started to find yourself applying things that you've seen into your work? My work? Yes. That's hard. That's the whole point of the part of the show is <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. also get you to be a better filmmaker. <laughs> well, I mean, you're talking about my job I have. Uh... Well, here's the thing, though. Uh, some of these are um, some of these are good principles in general. I mean, you probably are. Um, it, it's I, I would be willing to bet that 
you probably have more dynamic framing in some of your work than Amadeus did. Um, because definitely, I mean, my job is similar to yours. Mm. Um, I spend a lot of time interviewing cows. And <laughs> you just kind of have to, like, figure out different ways to frame a cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Zach. Great job. We'll Thank talk you. more about this Thank in the future. Thank you very much. Uh, so let's uh, wrap this up. Give your thoughts on the podcast posting page while you're there. Click on the Amazon.com link. Buy everything you want. Buy the entire website. Nothing will cost you any extra. But a little bit will come back to major spoilers to keep us going week after week after week. Next week, we're heading back to Francis Ford Coppola as we talk to Godfather on Zach on Phone. <laughs> <laughs>